It's great to be together on Sunday morning to worship God, to be with the community of believers, and to be inspired by His Word. And we are going to continue our series in the book of Daniel, so you can be getting your Bibles open to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. We're going to be getting there and reading in just a moment. We've had a, a wonderful time in the scriptures learning about Daniel, learning about his three friends, learning about the challenges that they went through, learning about the problems that they had so much faith through, and then seeing God really build up their character in the process. And I really pray that even today as we continue, we're able to not just learn about what happened these thousands of years ago in the Bible, but are able to apply these lessons to our life today. So let's jump right in to Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from a faz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling, and he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days, and then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time Yet to come. All right, let's stop there for a moment. Uh, As we have been reading, especially in the last few chapters, sometimes you get to the end of a scripture like that and you say, what is going on? What in the world is being talked about here? And really, that's kind of the point. We are talking about things that are not in our world. So today's lesson is called Beyond. We are going to be talking about things that are beyond our material experience with our earthly existence on this planet. Here we start to read about an angelic warfare in the eternal realm. There's a prayer that goes up by Daniel. Gabriel, the angel, is sent down to try to answer the prayer. Isn't that cool to know that maybe when you pray your prayer, it sets an angel on an assignment to answer your prayer? Isn't that pretty awesome? And so we're getting a glimpse into the spiritual realm. And what happens when he's on his way to answer the prayer? He gets stopped... Detained. We're not really sure who this person is, the prince of Persia. And later it calls Michael, who's the archangel, a prince as well. So we can assume there's some kind of angelic being of an evil nature. Intercepts Gabriel's answered prayer. Has a battle with him for how long? How many days? 
21 days. So for three weeks, they're battling in some angelic ninja back and forth warfare. And then Michael has to jump in and tag team, get in the ring, help Gabriel out and release him so that he can come down to Daniel and deliver the prayer. Isn't there so much going on beyond our awareness, beyond our world in the spiritual realm that we should learn about in order to understand God? Yes, yes, and that's what today is all about. It's more than just this world. Now, today we're going to be covering Daniel 10 and 11 in theme. We're not going to be spending a ton of time in chapter 11, except for right now. And I just want to do a quick overview of that chapter. It is a repetition of predictions or prophecies of empires that are going to come in the future and then fall apart. We've covered that in both chapter 2 and in a couple of other chapters as well. And so I just want to make sure we understand that today we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 10. But it's important to remember that 11 is crucial in understanding the whole theme of the book of Daniel. In just the first 35 verses of Daniel 11 alone... There are over 135 different prophecies, all of them fulfilled throughout history as it continues. The demise of the Persian Empire, very specific things that happen with these different empires that all come to fruition. The rise of the Greeks, the split uh, into a great battle of the Greeks between the north, the king of the north and the king of the south. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 12 next week and cover it a little bit retroactively. But today it's important to see the pattern that we're being invited into a world that's beyond our own. Now, tomorrow, a lot of people are celebrating something called... All right, someone said something else besides Halloween. I'm not sure what that was. But uh, Halloween, but but perhaps we'll uh, learn a little bit. People have done their study about this holiday. And I know even some of us in the community of faith have resistance to this holiday, and probably for good reason. Uh, Others of us say, hey, we're putting on costumes, we're just having fun, or hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. I want to shed some light on this a little bit today and talk a little bit about uh, what it has uh, to do with us. And yeah, people, I think, maybe more than ever in a given time of year, are thinking about uh, the spiritual realm when it comes to this holiday. And I'll explain what I mean. Uh, People are telling ghost stories, personal experiences, Things they can't explain by the material world. Things beyond the physical. There's a lot of movies that are made about it. And horror movies. And people watch movies about these kinds of things. And dark spirits. And it's big on TV. And the undead are coming back to life. And haunting ghosts. And creatures from the other side. Or or the upside down, as some TV episodes are calling it. Uh, Controversy surrounds it on all sides. Skeptics laugh at it. Other people swear by it. Some people condemn it. Some are just curious and unsure, and for others, it makes us a little nervous. Did I cover everybody? All right. Now, certain images have become kind of staple when it comes to the the, the darkness, the embodiment of darkness, both in the surreality of our digital world and movies, and also in the stories that we hear. And uh, it's, it's really, I think, embodied mostly in this foreboding, cloaked, and hooded figure Sometimes with a weapon in hand, uh, sometimes with a a, a scary mask or a face. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, when we go back uh, in just a a few decades to um, J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, even C.S. Lewis and some of the writings of the Chronicles of Narnia, but here is just a a quick frame from the Lord of the Rings and the ring race, this dark kind of 
smells of death creature uh, coming from the undead to try to claim the ring back is a, is a creature that sort of preys on the living. And uh, very scary, especially if you were to see nine of them coming at you like this with swords. Uh, another uh, popular film series in our culture, of course, is the Harry Potter series. And uh, J.K. Rowling uh, talks about the Dementors in her books and how they suck out your soul, right? These hooded, cloaked, foreboding figures. And a lot has been taken from uh, these different books, these different writings, and extrapolated on both in imagery and paintings and other forms of art. There's an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis in his Screwtape Letters that as the demon uncle is giving advice to his junior apprentice and nephew, he's telling him, we got to convince them that the spiritual realm doesn't really exist. And he says it like this, just remind him, demons are just comic figures in red tights. They couldn't possibly exist. Now, why would an evil spirit want to convince a human that they don't exist? Well, if you start to think like a demon, which C.S. Lewis had to do and even said that it compromise him spiritually a little bit as he was doing it, but he felt like God had called him to write this book to inform us of the spiritual battle. If you were to think like a demon, you wouldn't want anyone to believe that you exist. You would want them to believe that they are making all these decisions on their own. And that you would slowly etch them away from their faith, slowly convince them that there are more important things, until eventually there is no faith at all. And that's what the book is about. I highly recommend it. And it's very scary. It's not just that there's these comic figures and there are these masks and costumes and silly movies about the dark world, but that there really is a spiritual realm, a dark realm of spirits that we read about in the Bible that we must be aware of. And we cannot discount it as just some sort of cultural uh, elevation of a pagan festival a long time ago. There certainly are, there's evil out there and we need to fight it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Point number one, the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. You have to ask yourself, do you think there's something more than this physical universe that you experience with your eyes and your ears, your touch, your senses, etc.? Is there more? Do you believe there's more? You know, before it was called Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, the the Celtic people had a festival uh, called, it's spelled differently than it's pronounced, Soen is probably the more accurate pronunciation And basically it was just celebrating the end of the summer months uh, where it was lighter out and transitioning into the darker months, the winter months. And the the folk legend that developed into a real belief with the people in that time was that the border between this world and the next world became very thin on this one night. And on that night, they believed that spirits would be released. They would come across the border, some harmful, some harmless and that they could potentially get threatened, the humans. And so they started to dress themselves up with masks and costumes in the hopes that it would ward off the spirits or that they would blend in and not be taken. So this uh, developed and eventually, you know, sort of sneaks into other places and then into the U.S. And now we have Halloween for what it is. Billions of dollars in candy bought every year and, uh, and all the other things that go along with it. The uh, Pew Research Center accredited group that looks at thousands of people, especially in America, and what they believe and what they don't, found that 68% of Americans believe that angels and demons are active in this world. 
That's quite a lot because when the Barna Group did a study on thousands of people in America about whether they believed in Satan, they found that one out of every three American adult does believe in Satan. And then you would assume that when they asked the Christians, people that describe themselves as Jesus followers, that that number would go up a fair amount, right? What would you guess in America the amount of the percentages that American Christians believe that Satan exists? Okay, I heard 70, 80. Okay, some said 47. Okay, the answer is 40%. So people that describe themselves as Christians, it only goes up from 33 and a third to 40% for those of people that read, quote, quote unquote, follow Jesus and should be reading their Bibles. It's a shocking stat, especially as you read some of this other stuff that we're going to get into today about how pervasive the discussion of the spiritual realm is in Scripture. Are you one of those people that believes that there is evil outside this world that penetrates this world? Obviously, it's in this world. We see that clearly. Are you one of the 68%? Are you the one out of the three? Are you one of the 40%? You know, I grew up in the church, but I grew up a skeptic. And I grew up not buying into particularly this belief that there are these evil spirits that interact with our physical world. And one of the reasons I think I came into that staunch and adamant resistance to that belief is because my cousins made me watch some scary movies when I was about eight years old. And I think I used it as a defense mechanism to not be afraid. I said, this is not real. And so I just discounted the whole thing. And so when I continued to learn and grow older, I thought, yeah, none of this is real anyways. And I, I had to sort of recount my steps as I decided as an adult, if I'm going to really follow Jesus and believe everything the Bible says. And even at a young age, I remember seeing a movie called Ghost. You guys remember this film? The Swayze, Patrick Swayze and uh, Swayze and Demi Moore and uh, Whoopi Goldberg and really a, a good movie in many ways. And I remember one scene more than I remember any others, and I couldn't get a good clip of it, or could I get high-definition images, so I took frames, and this is the scene where one of the villains, kind of the secondary villain, uh, is, he dies, he's hit, he's hit by a car, and uh, he has an interaction briefly with Patrick Swayze's character, they're both in the undead world, or they're dead, but they're interacting, in other words. And Patrick Swayze tells him, you're dead. And Willie turns and sees his dead body on the car. And then there's these shadowy creatures. You guys remember this film? That I freaked out when I first saw that. These shadowy creatures come out of the ground. And, and he, he starts to, I mean, he's, a, he's an intense villain, right? But then he starts to look really afraid. And these guys are dragging his screaming body, like, into the ground. And it's really intense. And the look of concern of Swayze gets me, right? Oh, man, this is real, because you just believe he's such a good actor, right? So, and I was looking at this, and I thought, okay, I know it's a movie, but do, what do I believe? What do I believe happens to people after they die, and why, and what? And I, it really drove me to an intense curiosity, and I needed to learn more about it. I came upon this scripture as I was studying the Bible to become a Christian in college, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to use this as a little bit of a guideline for both of our points today. The first part in verse 12 says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So let me repeat again to make sure that we're all on the same page. If you are someone who follows Jesus or abides by the scripture or believes that it's true, then we wholesale agree that what Paul's telling the church in Ephesus here is that there are evil forces both in and outside this world, this realm, that interact, that intervene, that tempt, that mess us up. And so we understand that it's not just us and it's not just the physical universe, but much more than that. Sometimes we can get so earthly-minded that we forget the eternal perspective. We forget that there's something else beyond. We focus on just what's here and now, just the physical form, just the body, just what we have in our schedule. And very quickly, we become very selfish and self-focused people that only care about what's happening right now and with my life. It's kind of like me, and maybe you had a similar experience. If you grew up in your childhood... And you didn't really travel much. I lived in Syracuse, New York for many years of my childhood. And all I knew was those few square miles. And I could get to everywhere with my 10-speed bike. All right? Maybe you grew up here in New York. And you kind of had your area where your school was. And you knew like two or three stops on the train. Or maybe you're from mid-America or the West Coast or wherever you're from. You remember your childhood. The world seemed kind of small. And then at some point, it gets bigger. For me, when it got bigger was, at eight years old, I moved to England. And I was on a plane for the first time. And I'm seeing the world from a different perspective. And my whole world gets turned upside down. My imagination explodes. My whole universe and horizons are expanded because my experience is magnified. You ever think that when we read the Bible, God kind of did something similar with us? That he's given us just enough so that we can handle it where we're at in life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like explaining something to a small child. You know, a couple days ago, my 10-year-old son asked me what deprivation meant. I said, Poppy, what's deprivation? It's like, what are you reading? (laughs) Now, as a responsible parent, I could define it for him, or I could send him to the dictionary, which I did, and we talked about what the word meant as we looked at that. But I'm probably not going to say... Well, son, it's the destitute indigence of quintessential requisites. Right? That wouldn't help him. Doesn't help you either. So we ended up talking about it. I basically said it's what you don't have. It's when you don't have stuff that you need. Deprivation. You're deprived. So we had this conversation in terminology that would both be understandable to him and would help him as he was doing his assignment. Imagine God giving us the definition of the spiritual realm. Would we even understand the words, the descriptions that he would use? You know, when we read back on Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's prayer goes up like an email, right? And then this evil hacker attacks it with a virus. And then God says, I'm going to send my best engineer to fix it, but it's going to take three weeks. There's language that, that we can appropriate to help us understand what's going on. We barely understand it from the couple of sentences that we read in Daniel 10. There's so much more beyond this physical universe. But isn't God so gracious that he allows us a glimpse of what's beyond You know, in Galatians chapter 5, it describes a spiritual war, not only something that's happening out there, but happening in our souls. 
And this is where it gets personal. Because in your soul is a battle between the good and the evil. Between the dark and the light. And if we don't acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on, then we've already lost the battle. The battle wages on. We know the good we ought to do, but evil is right there with us. There is a constant fight. You're tempted. You fight the temptation. You give in to the temptation. You're fighting for righteousness. You're fighting to get to church. You're fighting next week when the marathon's happening to get to church on time. You're fighting to read your Bible in the morning. You're fighting to pray or to focus during your prayer, to not fall asleep during your prayer. There is a spiritual battle raging. And the soul that we fight for, that we protect, that we invest in, lives on into eternity. And God gives us autonomy to decide what we're going to choose. We have to invest in that world. We have to take measures to ensure that we'll be there when this life is over and helping our friends do the same. Being in the next world with God. Being in heaven. Let's not be naive. Let's not plead the fifth. Let's not lose the urgency. For we are locked in a spiritual battle whether we like it or not. And for some of us, it's just too late in the game not to take it more seriously. We've got to decide to be urgent, to take our souls back. Because some of us have slowly allowed Satan to work his temptation on us and for us to give him so much ground that now he owns the majority of our soul. You know, I want to challenge you to do a Bible study on the eternal realm. We don't have time to get into it in the time we have today. To dive into scripture, to learn about angels. You know, 34 out of 66 books of the Bible talks explicitly about angels. I think you should learn about the devil and his angels. Some of us, we know too little about the history, the biblical history of the devil himself. And we believe something, but we don't know why. And someone asks us a question, we can't point to scripture. We don't know why we believe what we believe. And that means you're only believing because of tradition's sake and because of something someone else said and not because of what God's word informs you of. In seven Old Testament books and every single New Testament writer refers to Satan. Would you say that's something pretty important to know in your Bible? Yes. And to not be the skeptic that goes, oh, I don't want to talk about the evil. and the... No, we must engage. And every time a TV show pops up, and every time a movie pops up, and every time Halloween pops up, I think it's an opportunity to share our faith. To talk to people about what we believe about evil and good and spiritual forces that are outside this world. An opportunity. So I challenge you to dig in to dig deep and to get ready. The Bible is our training manual and it gives us everything we need to be able to be equipped to fight this battle. That is the tip of the iceberg of the spiritual realm. And it relates right in to the second point, which is spiritual reputation. Because there is a spiritual realm. And that, this realm is very aware of you. You know, I discovered this website yesterday called truthfinder.com. Has anyone heard of it? I'm sure there's a lot of these websites out there. You pay a certain fee, and you can find out anything you want to know about a particular person. So I started typing my name in there. Like, what's out there on me? I don't know. And, of course, I didn't want to pay $29.99, so I don't know what's out there. But <laughs> they, they boast access to all these different records, both public records and archives. They have a relationship with different servers, have encrypted texts, and all this stuff. It's a reputation. Stuff that we've done, experiences that we've had. And so I was thinking, man, you know, even the world knows what we've done. 
especially with our digital footprint being as large as it is, especially these days. But how much more do the spiritual forces out there know? Because they have access to everything. Past, archives, experiences. And they dig in and they find out what we've done. And they use that to battle for our souls. So it's important that we decide we must have a spiritual reputation. Because if I don't, I'm an easy target. And it's possible I have an unspiritual reputation, in which case, if you're reading screw tape letters, they'll say, leave them alone. They were already with us. They've already sided with us. We don't have to do anything else. So if you had not had a spiritual challenge in a while, you should wonder. Maybe I've been left alone because I've already given up in a lot of ways. So, spiritual reputation. Would you say, in our study of Daniel, that he has a good spiritual reputation? Yeah? We've read a lot of things about him and decisions he's made. He has an outstanding reputation. Back in chapter 6, it uses the phrase, exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. He has integrity, doesn't compromise. Keeps himself in great physical condition. Prayer warrior. Surrounds himself with spiritual friends. He's humble. He doesn't gloat when he's right. He tells the truth even when his life is on the line. He is esteemed in heaven and he's feared in hell. That's the goal that I want for my spiritual reputation. Esteemed in heaven, feared in hell. And he's even compared with the greats of scripture. In Ezekiel 14, verse 12, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it, kill its men and their animals. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. An intense prophecy with Ezekiel. Man, if there's this wicked place and God's about to put out its wrath, put out his wrath on it, no one can save it. It's already been made. The decision is done. Even if, and and I imagine that in God's mind, he was imagining the most spiritual people up to that point that he can imagine, whose prayers would be so powerful that they might move God's heart. And he says, even Noah, even Daniel, and even Job, their prayers wouldn't be able to save the city. Pretty powerful group of people to be in. I would say Daniel's spiritual reputation is esteemed in heaven and feared in hell. What is your spiritual reputation? First, let's talk about on the earth. You know, what do people say about you? What do your co-workers say about you when you're not there? Right? To your face. Ah, you're awesome. What do they say when you're not around? What do your friends say about you when you're not around? Do you have a spiritual reputation? Do they say that you're a trustworthy person? That you're solid? That you're reliable? That you're honest? You know, don't ask them to to go out and do X, Y, Z. They've cleaned up their life. They've chosen a different path. That's what's said about people with a spiritual reputation. You know, what does your family say about you? Perhaps family members or blood relatives that aren't in the church or don't believe what you believe. What do they say about you? Do they love having you over for the holidays or do they dread it? Do you get invited to all the weddings and all the activities and all the reunions? Or have you found that over the years... Less and less invitations have been coming in. If so, why? Does your family say, you are so encouraging. You always serve the family. And it makes an impact on us. What do the church folks say about you? You know the church folk, right? 
your kin in the church? Do they say about you that you're someone that they can go to for biblical advice? That when I go to that brother or that sister, I know they're going to show me something from the Bible. Is that said about you? Is it said that you're trustworthy? You're someone that will help them when they're going through a hard time. Are you someone that said in the fellowship, there's someone I want to imitate in their faith because they are so faithful. You know, in in the different ways that we think about a reputation and all of these different aspects, whether even the spiritual world and the church family or in the secular world, a reputation does take a while to build, right? But it can also be tainted very quickly. Warren Buffett says it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. You agree with that? We know people that have been in the political realm that might have had a good reputation for a long time and then something happens, five minutes happen, and the reputation is ruined. Where is your reputation? You know, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 21, because it reminds us that we have a dual-fold responsibility to hold an accountable reputation. It says this, we're taking pains. All right, whenever the Bible says taking pains, that means it hurts a little bit. I'm challenged by this. I feel a conviction and persuaded to deny myself to make this happen. I am taking pains to do what is right. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Some of us can get, we'll fall into the trap on either extreme. We can say, well, I've got a great reputation with God. I don't care what any person thinks of me. All right, well, be careful. That extreme uh, kind of thinking is not what Paul's reminding the Corinthians to think about. That we are actually taking pains to be good examples for those that are outside the fellowship as well as inside. I am, yes, I'm working hard for the Lord and all those in the spiritual realm. I am also working hard to have a spiritual reputation in the eyes of all men. We have our part to play. And this is where the two points come together. A spiritual reputation moves into and makes impact on the spiritual realm. And I want to show you a little bit more about how to do that. I love the scripture in Ephesians 6. We read a little bit about putting on the full armor of God earlier. And I want to continue reading verse 13 through 17 now. It's not on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you can jot that down. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. It says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, since we're fighting these evil forces, right? It says, So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist." with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of evil, of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I want to pick out four of these spiritual war elements to help us think practically about what we can do to bolster up our spiritual reputation. The first one is the belt of truth in verse 14. You know, when I think about truth and wrapping it around myself, you know, what does a belt do? Hopefully it holds up your pants, right? 
And, you know, if you're not honest, if you don't wear the belt of truth, if you're not a transparent person, eventually you will be caught with your pants down. You will be found out. The lies will be revealed. And so the idea of this belt is that it equips me, it holds me together. Honesty protects me. And really what this comes down to, because I think nowadays, truth becomes so relative that everyone could say, well, this is my truth, this is my truth. The Bible informs us what real truth is. It gives us an objective standard to define universal truth for us as spiritual people and children of God who follow the Bible. And so we're able to use the scriptures to help us understand what real truth is. Without that, we have no real truth and we cannot be really honest. So we can decide to start a new, perhaps a revived conviction that everywhere I go, I'm going to be me. The honest, transparent me. I understand there's different environments. We need to adapt. We need to be all things to all men. But too easily, we can be one person at work, one person at church, one person at home, one person with the family, and then eventually all those things will eventually cause a crisis in our lives because they all come crashing together. So instead we decide, I'm going to be me, the transparent, true, spiritual me, and not be afraid of my worlds colliding. The next thing. Verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And there's a theme that runs through all of these parts of the armor. And again, you know, we learn in Romans, faith comes from hearing the word. So again, the Bible is what gives us the shield of faith. It increases our faith. We learn about people like Daniel in the Old Testament. We learn about what Jesus does. It increases our faith. It gives us imitatable examples to learn from. The shield of faith that increases. Perhaps you're feeling like your faith has been low lately. If that's true, I would suggest start with the Bible. Find someone in the Bible that you relate to or loved a long time ago and do a Bible study. You say, John, that's too simple for me. Well, you're going to have to find another church that's more complicated because that's all I got. The Bible is our answer. It informs us how to increase our faith. It's what it talks about. Read let it be deep inside of you, inject it into your spiritual veins and become someone that's an expert in Scripture. Not for knowledge, but for faith. Verse 17 talks about the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Scripture teaches us how to be saved by faith, by repentance, through baptism, raising up with Jesus as he was raised from the dead. You know, for some of us, we're visiting church or we're studying the Bible or we're still trying to figure out where we are in our spiritual journey. Some of us are coming back to faith and attempting to restore that faith. First of all, I want to say you guys are awesome. Anyone in that category who's visiting church today and has sat through as much of our sermons as we have and has waded through the deep waters of the book of Daniel, you guys are amazing. And I, I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep studying the Bible. Keep digging in. You know, some of us are hitting that hump right now. We're, oh, I'm not really sure. Man, that's really hard. Does the Bible really ask me to do that? Guys, the, the helmet of salvation will protect you. It will protect you like Magneto uh, in the X-Men. All right? You put it on and nothing can affect you. Not even Dr. Xavier, right? Like, you're going to be okay against the spiritual forces of evil. But first is first. Salvation. No God. Know God through faith, repentance, be baptized, join the ranks of the kingdom and fight alongside of us. Now, for some of us, we've been around for a little while, but we need to shore up our salvation. We need to make our election sure. You say, wait a minute, 
I didn't know I needed to do that. I thought I was good. There's only one baptism. Yes, there is. And that's why you got to protect it, right? It's like having one child. Take care of it. You got to do whatever you can to protect your salvation, to make sure that whatever thoughts or temptations are coming in are being open, out in the open, getting the help we need, and making sure, again, that the Bible is what's informing us. And then finally, what I want to pick out is the sword of the Spirit. Again, in verse 17. What is that? Well, it's the Word of God. You see the theme? In every one of these elements, the full armor of God comes from His Word. And the sword of the Spirit is both our offense and our defense. It is what helps us to defend against the evil forces, both here and otherwise. And it helps us to share. The Word is what we share with other people as they learn about the faith as well. Guys, the Word is our gift from the eternal realm. It is our quintessential, our best and most important gift that God has given us to equip us to fight these spiritual battles. As we close out, I want to fast forward to the New Testament into a situation that reminds me about what we're talking about and what Daniel was involved in in Daniel 10 and 11. In Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 13, that tells a story about some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits and trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. And it says over those who were demon-possessed, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. In verse 14, it says, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them. That would be scary, right? Starts talking. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Whoa! It's a graphic scripture, right? Wow, what is going on here? It's important to think about our reputation in the spiritual realm. Because when you come face to face with evil, I hope you're ready. If we're not ready, we're going to get a beating. Some of us have experienced a spiritual beating. We know what it, we know what it feels like to be beat down spiritually, to be hurt in our faith, to not be ready for a spiritual battle, to give in to a temptation that was too much for us to bear. Why? Because of our decisions. We gave in. And some disciples had a spiritual reputation in the eternal realm. Of course, none of them had a reputation like Jesus himself. He was feared by demons and evil spirits. They shrieked and submitted when he came near to them. And people came from all over to follow his leadership and to walk with him straight into heaven. This is the dream that God has for us. It is God's spiritual dream for us to build our reputation. To be able to not only be ready in this world, to be prepared for the next. So may we put on the full armor of our Lord and impact this realm and in the realm to come. Let's bow our heads as we pray for the communion. Our Father in heaven, we are aware that we're only tapping into a small glimpse of the spiritual realm. God, even now I can only imagine that maybe even in this room there is a spiritual presence. We know, Father, that the Bible says that you're everywhere, and so we perhaps can assume that you're here Maybe there is evil 
tempting us here as well? God, we do not want to be naive. We want to be aware so that we can be equipped. Father, please convict us and help us to make decisions about our spiritual reputation to tie back into the advice of Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the full armor that the Spirit gives us through your word. God, thank you for Jesus and his example as he was ready for all the temptations from every direction. We know that he experienced them, but we know he also was victorious over them. Mostly, we remember the cross and that huge victory that he had over death and over Satan's temptations, especially in those last moments on the Mount of Olives. Help us to remember him at this time as we celebrate the communion with the bread and the cup. And we remember both your death and also your resurrection. We love you and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.